0: Friends, I want to ask you to grab your Bible with me and open to the book of Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, and if you are not familiar with the Bible, uh, open it to the middle and scroll down to the right and you'll bump into it after some time. And as you're turning there, uh, we recognize in this season that when things get difficult, it causes us to focus on what is most important. When things get difficult, it causes us to focus. There's a narrowing of focus onto what the most important things are. What you believe. What you do. How you live. And nature has an incredible way of showing us that type of focus. Those of you that are part of Old North know that Uh, My wife, Amy, grew up in Montana, Northwest Montana in the Rocky Mountains. And as a person who loves the outdoors, I love going back to Montana and um, being there with her and, and her family. Northwest Montana is unlike a number of the other more populated areas of the Rocky Mountains. It's a little bit more raw. It's a little bit more extreme at times, a little less developed. And almost every year when we go back, we make it a point to have at least one extreme adventure during our time there. And it's not very difficult to do. And it doesn't really matter what time of year you go. Montana offers plenty of things like that. But perhaps the most extreme season of the year is the winter. With the immense amount of snow. The possibility of incredible cold. And the overwhelming sense that when nature is bearing down on you in that way, that you have lost all control of your surroundings. When you're stuck in the middle of a snowstorm that's falling three inches of snow an hour, and you don't know when it's going to end, you very quickly begin to focus on the things that are most important for that time. How am I going to stay warm? (laughs) Is my shelter sufficient? Do we have enough food? On the other end of the spectrum, you can consider what life on the ocean must be like as well. Uh, Amy and I lived in Cape Cod, Massachusetts for a number of years, and we experienced many great storms called nor'easters and even experienced a hurricane. And when you're in the middle of a hurricane, you very quickly lose all sense of control of your surroundings. The sheer force of the wind and the rain bears down upon you, and you are helpless but to sit back and watch and to pray and to focus on what's most important. Is my family safe? How are we going to function without power? When will this end? Those types of questions and that type of feeling is what many of us have experienced in the last number of weeks. When the COVID-19 pandemic arrived, each and every one of us realized over the course of just a number of days how little control we actually have. Quarantines are happening all over the country, the economy is ground to a halt, and our perceived loss of control is one of the most difficult aspects of this pandemic for so many people. And so people focus in on what's more important. There's probably four main questions, I reckon, that people are asking right now. Am I gonna get sick? Am I gonna lose my job? How long is this gonna last? And what should I do in light of this situation? And We can't control the answer to the first three of those questions. We can't control if we get sick or not. We can't control whether or not we're going to lose our job. We can't control how long this is going to last. But one of those things, in the midst of all those that we can't control, one of those things is something we can control. And that is question number four. What are we going to do in light of this situation? What are we going to do now? And there are a number of ways that we can answer that question. Last week we answered it from Psalm 91. Next week we'll answer it from a different passage. But one passage I want to direct your attention to is Ephesians chapter 4 that gives us some very clear encouragements about how we are to act and how we're to live in light of the situation that we're in. So turn with me. This is what it says in verses 1 through 6. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus and he says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord who is over all and through all and in all. What do we do in light of the situation that we find ourselves in? Well, Paul gives the exhortation to walk worthy. He encourages the Ephesians and encourages us to walk worthy of the calling to which you've been called. If the coronavirus pandemic has done anything to the collective cultural conscience of our time, it's showing us that our lack of control over so many of the serious aspects of life is an incredibly destabilizing feeling. And it's this type of lack of control that Paul is experiencing in a very different dynamic, but a similar vein. You see, Paul is writing to the Ephesians from prison. And if you think that the quarantine in your house is bad, then I'm sure he would love to trade places with you. He'd probably even homeschool your children during your time off. And in the midst of what we can't control, what he can't control, what we can't control, he reminds them of the thing that they can control, how they walk. Walking is a common metaphor that we use to talk about our progression through life, isn't it? Walking has intentional action to it, it has advancement of time and distance, it has a level of directionality. And generally speaking, walking is something that you can control. Paul says that we're supposed to walk as Christians in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called. And so that begs the question, of course, Well, what is it that we've been called to? He's speaking about the calling of the Christian life. And here he's told them through this book of Ephesians many of the incredible aspects of this calling that informs the way that they're supposed to walk. Listen to some of the things that he talks about, your calling as a Christian. And just how profound they are in the first three chapters of this book. In chapter 1, verses 3 and on, he says that we've been called to the blessing of salvation. In chapter 1, verse 14, we've been called to hope. In the end of chapter 1, we've been called to be united to Jesus Christ in such a manner that we will share in his ultimate rule over the new creation. In the middle of chapter 2, we are called to be reconciled to God to be members of God's household, and to have freedom to approach God by his spirit. And then in chapter 3, he says that we've been called into the church, which is the gathering of God's people together, all under the salvation of Jesus, and by which God displays his manifold wisdom to the powers of God. Of the supernatural realm and the natural realm. This is an incredible calling. And if you meditate just on one or two of those pieces, you realize that as a Christian, you are called in a supernatural fashion to the things of God. And so Paul says, in light of that incredible grace and mercy that God has given you, live your life in a manner that reflects the immense worth of that calling. You know, every season of our lives, I think, requires us to take a step back and to examine what it means to walk worthy of that calling in that particular season. I think that's especially true for right now. Because there's tremendous opportunity before us in the midst of difficulty. Because so many of us are asking, in light of this situation, what should I do? Because when we're in the middle of crisis, we naturally start to narrow our focus onto what is most important. And so we see that every situation is a little bit different and demands something unique from us. But there still are some basic tenets of what it means to walk worthy to this calling. And that's where we turn our attention in verses 2 and 3. The way to walk worthy. And we see here that Paul lists four graces that define what a worthy walk looks like. We call them graces because God gives them to us. And then, of course, we exhibit them to other people. These four graces in verse 2 and 3 are walk worthy with all humility, gentleness, patience, Bearing with one another in love. The first of those graces is humility. And humility is modesty. It's not thinking too highly of yourself. It's not even really focusing necessarily on lowering yourself either. But rather it's recognizing yourself accurately. And recognizing yourself, particularly as a Christian, in light of who God is. I'm going to ask my friend Reggie to come on up with me just to illustrate the point. You know, the opposite of humility is arrogance or pride. And as you think about what a humble person looks like versus what a proud person looks like, the proud person uh, is the one who is looking at his life. And on this side, he's looking at just how immense God is. Reggie, can you I mean, look at how tall God is. I mean, so incredibly immense. And the proud person is looking at God, and he's looking at the person next to him. And he's looking at God, and he's looking at the person next to him. And he says, hey, bro, I am so much taller than you. (laughs) In light of who God is, that's ridiculous. Thanks, Reggie. That is absolutely insane. I mean, Psalm 91 reminds us that God is a shadow in which we can hide. A fortress to dwell in times of trouble. God stands outside of time and space, and our lives are incredibly limited in light of him. When you consider the expansiveness of God and our small stature... The fact that he is eternal and our lives are but merely a blip on the trillions of years of eternity. And the handful of months of a pandemic that sweeps the globe is even less so. Then you begin to realize that if God is that big And we are not in control, then surely he must be. And your recognition of that lack of control and his immenseness leads you to humility. The second of the four graces is gentleness. Gentleness is. Fairly self-evident, isn't it? To be gentle is to be courteous, to be even-tempered, and to even have a mild disposition. The third of the graces that Paul mentions here, how are you supposed to walk in a time like this, is patience. Patience is the endurance of unhappiness. Patience is the endurance of annoyance or the endurance of pain. Many of you feel the need right now for increased level of patience as you feel like you're locked in the prison of your own home. Others of us feel the need for increased patience as we just ask the question that's out of our control is, how long is this thing going to last? And we don't know the answer to it. Proverbs 14, 29 says, whoever is slow to anger has great understanding. But he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. Or Psalm 37.7 says, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Or Psalm 27.14 that says, Wait for the Lord. Be strong And let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. The fourth of the graces that Paul mentions is what we might call forbearing love. He says to endure or to bear with one another in love. To bear with one another is similar to having patience. But here the focus is not just on the attitude or the characteristic of the person... It's perhaps even more focused on who it is directed to. The direction of this act is that you endure or you bear with one another (laughs) in love. You choose to let love reign even in the midst of ongoing annoyance or difficulty or pain. These are the four graces... In your life that represent walking worthy. Humility, gentleness, patience, and forbearing love. And why are these things so important for us to consider right now? Because in the midst of crisis, the resolve of people is tested. And you've already seen it. And so have I. Right now, there are times when you are witnessing incredible acts of character. And there are times when you are witnessing incredible acts of self-serving behavior. Someone goes to the grocery store, and if there are four bottles of distilled water on the shelf that they need, they take all four, even though Three people are in line behind them. Somebody else might go to the grocery store and take one bottle of that same water and make sure that the other three behind them get what they need. What's the difference between these people? If you were the person in the front of the line, what would you do? (laughs) Or maybe if you were the person in the back of the line, how would you respond? You see, how you live in this moment matters. It says something about who you are. And it says something about what you trust in or who you trust in. Humility, gentleness, patience, and forbearing love is needed. That's called character. (laughs) Character is needed. And character points you and others to who you are and to the one in whom you put your trust. Other times we look at our situation right now and we see people who are very well-meaning but have different perspectives of how to handle this situation. And character is very much needed here as well. One family might think that the best way to love their neighbors or their friends or their fellow church members is to make them a meal, to bring it over to their house, and to stand on the front porch and from a distance speak to each other of eight feet away. While at the same time another family might think the fact that you would even place your foot on their front yard is somehow a violation of an order and a direct threat to their family. It's hard to say who's right or wrong in such an instance. But the arrogant or impatient or harsh one will respond in a certain way and the humble and the gentle and the patient one responds with forbearing love even in the midst of well meaning differences of perspective and maybe you say you look at a text like this and you say well Pastor Nick I'm not just I'm not very good at those things yet but now is your chance because crisis reveals character but crisis also builds character and God wants to establish these four graces within you I think the main idea of a passage like this is that you have the opportunity to display God's grace in your life by exhibiting the personal graces to others. Display God's grace by exhibiting the personal graces to others. God's doing something in you even right now through this time. C.S. Lewis describes it this way. He says, imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house and perhaps... At first, you understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right. He's fixing the leak in the roof and so on. And you knew that those jobs needed to be done. And so you're not surprised. But then he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make sense to you in the moment. What on earth is he up to? The... Explanation is that he's building quite a different house than the one that you expected. He's throwing out a new wing on that side. He's putting an extra floor up there. He's adding some towers up the side of the home. He's creating a courtyard out front. See, you thought that you were going to be made into a decent little beautiful cottage. But God is building a A palace a palace that he intends to come in to live in himself and one of the ways that he is building you into that kind of palace is by refining your character in a time like this humility gentleness patience and forbearing love display God's grace by exhibiting the personal graces to others. And the result, Paul says, and the motive that is listed here is that it creates a level of unity in the spirit and a bond of peace. And they are maintained. He's speaking about Christian unity. Unity that is displayed in certain types of actions toward one another and that's grounded in a shared set of Belief in the context of a local church family. This unity grows as Christians walk in this way. And though here Paul is exhorting a particular church and, and really all churches to function in this kind of unity with one another as believers, I think we recognize that in our present circumstances the world sees this walk and this growing unity that it creates as more and more christians start to live like this and even in the midst of a pandemic they begin to see how the manifold wisdom of god is displayed in the calling of people who are acting very differently in the midst of a season where they don't have control over much but they can control their character This short section ends with the reason why we walk this way. And we might say that the Trinity motivates us and works in us and through us. Paul ends in verses 4 through 6 if you just want to look at it with me. He ends with a, a short exhortation that almost functions like a creed. A creed is just a statement of shared beliefs. And These shared beliefs motivate us to walk in a certain way and they empower us to walk in a certain way. He says that there is one body and one spirit just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Maybe you're a Christian And you need to be reminded of these core essentials of what God has done by way of our calling and what we believe about who he is. And this empowers and motivates you to walk worthy. Maybe uh, you're not a Christian yet. And you are looking around and you're hearing about these qualities and you're looking at yourself and, and you say, I want to move from a place where I'm functioning in anxiety and fear. I'm functioning in self-centeredness and frustration in the midst of this pandemic. I want to move from those types of things, which are so natural to all of us, to function in a different way. And God empowers us to do that. And the difference begins with active faith. And so he says that there's one body of Christ. There's one Holy Spirit who, by the way, empowers you. And there's one hope. We have one hope in our life and death. In a time when it feels like we don't know what hope looks like, there is but one lasting hope. And that is through a relationship with God. And so he says there's one Lord. Jesus Christ himself ...is our Lord and our Savior. He is the one who represents our hope. Our sin separates us from God and condemns us to spiritual death. But Jesus came to forgive us of our sins and give us new life with God through his death, burial, and resurrection. This is God's grace to us. And so he says there's one faith. Faith is that which allows us to have the benefit of Jesus' work... And gives us access to God. A whole new life begins. A whole new life begins with a different perspective, with a different calling, with a different supernatural power, and with the different ability to exercise character even in the midst of crisis. Paul says there's one baptism, that's the physical initiation into this faith. And there's one God and Father. Of all, who is more powerful than we can even imagine. He is over all, through all, and in all. And so, friends, you have the opportunity to display God's grace by exhibiting these graces to others these personal graces. In the midst of all the things that you can't control, there are some things that you can. I wonder if you've ever seen a trapeze show, maybe even at a circus or another type of event. Trapeze show is truly breathtaking in its nature because as you watch the trapeze artists flying through the air and catching one another. We wonder at their dexterity and their timing. We gasp at the near misses. And in most cases, there's a net underneath. When they fall, if they fall, they jump up and bounce back on to the trapeze again. In many ways, when you are in Christ... We live like we're on the trapeze. And the whole world should be able to watch and say, look at how they live. Look at how they love one another. Look at how husbands treat their wives. Aren't they the best workers in the factories or in the offices? Aren't they the best neighbors or the best students? What is it that they have that forms this type of character in them, even in the midst of crisis? That is to live on the trapeze, being a show for the world. And what happens when we slip? Well, the net is surely there. The blood of our Lord Jesus Christ has provided forgiveness for all of our sins. But both the net and the ability to stay on the trapeze are works of God's grace. God's grace in you. And so I want to encourage you this morning. Be the person who displays God's grace by exhibiting the personal graces to others. I want to ask you to pray with me. Father in heaven, when our world is destabilized, we see a narrowing of our focus and we recognize our great need all the more to depend upon you and to let that dependence upon you inform how we live. I want to pray for everyone who is listening today that you would continue to show us your grace in the Lord Jesus, and continue to develop in us these graces, that we would be humble and gentle, that we would be patient, and that we would exercise forbearing love, and that the world would see it, that we would find joy in it, and that you would receive glory from it. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.